0: Focus. Help me to focus for the next few moments as we attempt to preach your word, Lord. And I pray that you would uh, just speak to us, and that you would, uh, we would be able to know that we've heard from your word, Father. We love you in your precious name. I pray. Amen. All right, well, we're there in Acts chapter number 21, and it's a very interesting story in Acts 21. And um, I, it's it's sad to me, you know, you, you when you preach through the stories of the Bible, through the books of the Bible. And you're preaching through stories. You often form heroes in the Bible. You know, and you've got Joseph, who has become one of my heroes. And you've got Paul, who's definitely one of my heroes in the Bible. And we always are rooting for our hero, you know, they're always doing something for God, and they're always accomplishing something for God, but you know, these characters in the Bible like Joseph and Paul and Moses and David and all of them were, as much as they were godly men and they were, uh, you know, good examples or examples for us, they were still men, and they were still human, and they still made mistakes, and tonight we're going to be dealing with Paul's sin in chapter number 21 and some of the stuff that he did that was wrong, that was wrong of him to do, that was a sin. Now if you look at the first three verses we see there, it says, and it came to pass that after we were gotten from them and had launched, we came with a straight course unto Koas and the day following unto Rhodes and from thence unto Patara and finding a ship sailing over unto Phoenicia, we went abroad and set forth. Now when we had discovered Cyprus, we left it on the left hand, and sailed into Syria, and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unlaid her burden. So, really we're just seeing there at Paul is traveling, and if you remember from the last... Few chapters of the last few sermons we've been preaching through the book of Acts, Paul is making his way to Jerusalem. He keeps making these statements, he wants to make it to Jerusalem before the day of Pentecost, he wants to make it to Jerusalem for certain things, and that's the way he's going, that's the way he's, uh, uh, what he wants to do, he wants to get to Jerusalem to celebrate this day of Pentecost, which by the way is not something he should be celebrating anyway. But in verse 4, we find here, One of the reasons why I believe Paul was disobeying God, and you know, Acts 21 is kind of a controversial uh, chapter amongst Christians, because Christians will uh, argue back and forth whether Paul was right or whether he was wrong in regards to going to Jerusalem. But I think it's very clear in the Scriptures, if you look at verse number 4, the Bible says this, "...and finding disciples, we tarried there seven days." Who said to Paul, now the who there is referring back to the disciples. So the disciples said to Paul, and notice the next three words, through the Spirit. Now this isn't somebody talking about the disciples, this is the narrator of the scripture, which we know the... The book of Acts was written by Luke, but it was inspired by God. And really, God is the one who is telling us here that these disciples said to Paul, through the Spirit, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. That's very clear. The Holy Spirit used these men to tell Paul, hey, do not go to Jerusalem. Look at verse 5, and when we had accomplished those days, we departed and went our way. And they all brought us unto our on our way, with wives and children, so we were out of the city, and we kneeled down on the shore, and prayed. And when we had taken our leave, one of another, we took ship, and they returned home again. And when we had finished our course from Tyre, we came to uh, Ptolemas, and saluted the brethren, and abode with them one day. And the next day, I want you to see in verse 8, and the next day, we that were of Paul's company, departed, and came Unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. And the same and the same man had four daughters, virgins, which did prophesy. And as we tarried there many days, there came down from Judea a certain prophet named Agabus. And when he was come unto us, he took Paul's girdle and bound his own hands and feet, and said, Thus saith the Holy Ghost so shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man that owneth this girdle and shall deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So you see there a second warning from God. They show up here at Philip's house and we're going to talk about a little bit more about that in a second. But they show up at Philip's house and... Uh this prophet comes down from Jerusalem, and his name is Agabus, and he shows up, and Paul just has his girdle, his piece of clothing, just kind of laying, you know, kind of like my coat, just sitting on that chair there, and it'd be like if we're just kind of, you know, fellowshipping, and we just got into town, and this prophet just walks into the house, just walks up to this, you know, piece of clothing there, and he ties his own hands around. You know, he ties his hands using the coat or the girdle there. And he says, whoever, you know, this coat belongs to, that man's going to be bound in Jerusalem. You know, and that prophet didn't know that that belonged to Paul. But the Holy Spirit was doing that because he was warning him. And we see there are two different times that the Bible tells us the Spirit said, do not go into Jerusalem. The prophet told him through the power of the Holy Spirit, I do not want you to go out. You're going to be bound in Jerusalem. Look at Paul's response. Look at verse 12. And when we heard these things, both we and they of that place besought him not to go up to Jerusalem. And so they're saying, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. God doesn't want you to go to Jerusalem. The prophet's saying they're going to bind you. And, and look at Paul's response. Now, don't be too hard on Paul, because you got to remember, this is still the Apostle Paul. This is one of the greatest Christians who ever lived. But Paul says, Then Paul answered, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, that sounds like a very good answer, doesn't it? He said, look, I'm ready to die. He said, I'm not just ready to be bound. I'm ready to die in Jerusalem. Now, that sounds like a great answer, except for this, Paul. God already told you He doesn't want you to go to Jerusalem. You know, and so often, you know, as we are around Christians, you'll find this. The Word of God, which today the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us audibly, does He? The Bible tells us that God has given us His perfect Word, it's inspired, and it's complete. So God only speaks to us through His Word. You're not going to hear God speak to you audibly. If you hear voices in your head, you might want to get that checked out. Because the Holy Spirit of God is not going to speak to you. He speaks to us through His Word. But today, Christians will look at clear commandments in the Bible. spiritual. You know, like the spiritual thing both hey, I'm ready to die for Jesus in Jerusalem. Well, number one, God just told you to not go to Jerusalem. But today, that's how Christians will act when they want to disobey the Bible. We'll act like we're doing something spiritual. Like, oh, well, I'm just doing that for God, you know. Well, I'm just, I, you know, I'm going to work at this bar, you know, or, and sell alcohol because I'm going to, you know, uh, take care of my children, you know, because that's what God commanded me to do. And it's like, well, you know, God is not going to have you do something that's wrong to do something that's right. Do you understand what I'm saying? But Paul's kind of taking the stand. He's saying, he's acting like it's a spiritual thing he's doing. When God already told you two times, don't do it. You know, we ought to always obey God's command. And even if you think you're doing something good, if God told you not to do it, don't do it. But I want you to notice a few things before we move on from that. I'd like you to see, if you go back to verse 8, it says, "In the next day, we that were of Paul's company, departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip. Now, it says, Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven. One of the seven is referring to the seven original deacons. If you remember, we dealt with Philip back in Acts chapter number 6 and Acts chapter number 8. And if you remember, Philip was living in Jerusalem, and I'm not going to take the time to go back to Acts 8, but Philip was living in Jerusalem, and Philip had to run away from Jerusalem, and he had to leave Jerusalem, because if you remember, Saul was persecuting the church, and Philip ran from Jerusalem, because Saul was going to kill him. And if you remember, we, read, we saw there in Acts chapter 8 where Philip went and he uh, got the uh, Ethiopian eunuch saved and he had, the, he had the revival in Samaria. He got the Ethiopian eunuch saved. And then if you remember, Acts chapter number 8 leaves off with when he, just remember after he baptized him, the Bible says the Spirit of the Lord disappeared. He, he, he took, took him away and he disappeared. And if you read the last verse of Acts 8, he ends up in Caesarea where he's living right now. That's where he ends up living. Philip is in this city because of Saul. And it's just an amazing thing what God does because now Philip is having the Apostle Paul come and stay with him. You know, this, this seasoned, matured uh, uh, missionary. And it says, the next day, uh, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven, and abode with him. Now verse 9 is another verse that people like to take and, and make all sorts of doctrines with and it says, And the same man had four daughters, virgins and it says, which did prophesy. Now, I've heard so many people take this verse and see, they're right there, see, right there. Women preachers. Philip had four daughters who were virgins and they prophesied. Now, here's the thing. If we're going to make a statement about the Word of God, it's got to be in the context of the Word of God, correct? And the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So let me show you a few verses. Go with me to 1 Timothy, the book of 1 Timothy there towards the end of your New Testament, First Timothy, look at chapter number 2. And I'd like you to see a few things quickly. First Timothy, chapter number 2, and look at verse number 11. First Timothy, chapter number 2, and look at verse number 11. The Bible says this, Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman, look what it says, but I suffer not a woman to teach. That word suffer means allow. It says, Paul said, but I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. The Bible says that a woman should not speak in church. Now when we're talking about speaking, I'm not talking about, you walk into church and you don't say anything. I say, oh good evening, how are you doing here? That's that's obviously not what we're talking about. You can talk in church. Paul is talking about teaching and preaching the Word of God. He says, a woman should never stand up and usurp the authority of a man and stand up and preach and teach to men. Now, people don't like that today, but I don't really care if people like it. It's the Word of God. It says that the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor you to deserve authority over the man, but to be in silence. You know, we've had some loud women come to this church, where they, uh, you know, sit there and they want to talk the whole time during the preaching. They try to talk over me, or, you know. And if you ever see a woman who's just talking and talking and talking, you ought to just look over and say, you know, you ought to be quiet. Because the Bible says that a woman ought to learn in silence with all subjection. And we're not trying, we're not saying that because, you know, men are better than women. Look, I think we all understand, if you're a mature individual today, I think we all understand women are smarter than men. You know, I've stopped fighting that battle a long time ago. You know, but the Bible says that God put man in authority of the church to preach. And we will never have a woman stand behind this pulpit as long as I'm the pastor of this church and teach or preach or do anything. subjection. He said, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man but to be in silence for Adam was first formed, then he. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived being a transgression. Notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness and sobriety. Let me show you another verse. You're there in 1st Timothy. Look at, look at uh, chapter number 3. Look at verse number 1. 1st Timothy 3 very famous passage gives us the qualifications of a pastor or a bishop and the Bible says this is a true saying if a man desired the office of a bishop which is a pastor bishop, pastor, elder all interchangeable terms if a man desired the office of a bishop he desired the good work a bishop then must be blameless look what it says the husband of one wife vigilant, sober of good behavior given to hospitality apt to teach you know, people often ask you know, people say I really like to listen to Joyce Myers on the television she's a great, such a great preacher what do you think about her? But, you know, people ask me what do I think about Joseph mind?" this is what I think about Joseph mind. I'd like to ask you a question how do you meet the qualifications of a pastor? are you the husband of one wife? because I think in order to be the husband of one wife you have to be a male married to a female and, and people say well, well that's just talking about no 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 it, it's not just saying oh well you gotta be married that's not what we're talking about because the, the, just a the few verses before that needs to step down from the pulpit and maybe go raise some children and do something that God called her to do and let men preach the word of God, because that's what the Bible says. There is no such thing as women preachers in the Bible. But then we've got to ask you this question, well, why does it say that these four young girls prophesied? Well, see, we have to allow the Bible to be our dictionary. And go go with me to Proverbs, the book of Proverbs in your Old Testament, Proverbs chapter number thirty-one. Proverbs chapter number 31. Proverbs 31 is a very famous, famous passage about the virtuous woman. If you're a lady, uh, you ought to read Proverbs 31. And you ought to see those qualifications there of a virtuous woman. Try to apply those to your life. But in Proverbs 31, we find that this virtuous woman is being spoken about. And I want you to understand a few things. We must allow the Bible to be our dictionary. Okay, today people have this idea, when you see the word prophesy, we think that prophecy means uh, foretelling the future. Now let me tell you something, that can be, that can definitely be a part of prophecy, but in the Bible, prophesy or prophecy is just talking is talking about uh, preaching. Okay, it's the same word as our word preaching. It doesn't necessarily have to do with foretelling the future. Let me show that to you. You're there in Proverbs 31, look at verse 1. Look what it says. It says, the words of King Lemuel, the, do you see the next word? Prophecy that his mother taught him. Proverbs 31 is a mother teaching her son What kind of wife he should be looking for. And the kind of wife that's going to make him happy. And the kind of wife that's going to satisfy him. And she goes through and gives all these qualifications for how to be a good wife. You know, and you ought to read those and I'll preach through those at some point, you know. But... The Bible says there that the prophecy of King Lemuel, or the, the words of King Lemuel, the prophecy that his mother taught him. So chapter 31 is, according to the Bible, it's the prophecy that his mother taught him. Well, I gotta ask this question. Show me in chapter 31 where it foretells any future events. You will not find it. There are no future events. It doesn't talk about the rapture, it doesn't talk about the Antichrist, it doesn't talk about anything that's gonna happen in the future, but yet the Bible Why? Because prophecy just means to preach in the Bible. What I'm doing right now is I'm prophesying. Now look, I can prophesy, I can foretell the future. I did the last two weeks on Sunday morning. I preached on the judgments of God that are coming out of the book of Revelation. Guess what? I was prophesying the future. But guess what? I'm prophesying right now. And the word prophesy simply means to preach. And you say, well, Pastor Matt, I thought you just said that women weren't allowed to preach. Well, go, go with me to Philippians. Do you see what I'm saying about the word prophesy? It doesn't just mean to stand up and and tell the future. It just means to preach God's word or to teach God's word. I thought you just said that women weren't allowed to get up and preach because the Bible says... Well, look at Philippians chapter number 4. Look at verse 1. Do you know that Pastor Jimenez believes in women preachers? I not only believe in women preachers, I encourage women preachers. You know, you say, well, I'd like to preach. Can we come to men's preaching night? No, that's called men's preaching night. Let me show, let me show you what kind of women's preachers I, I believe in. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Look at verse 1. Look at what Paul said. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown. And by the way, I, this has nothing to do with sermon, but just, you know, we were talking about receiving rewards when we are talking about the, the judgment seat of Christ. You want to know how you're going to get your rewards? Look what Paul said. He said, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, and he's talking about people that he got saved, and he said, You are my joy and crown. He said, I want to get a crown in heaven. Here's how you get a crown in heaven. Get people saved. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech the I know that sounds like a weird name, but that's the name of a woman in the Bible, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. You say, why? Essenticchia and Iorias were two women in the Bible, and Paul is telling them to be of the same mind. And you say, why is Paul telling them that? Well, he's telling them that because these women have been uh, fighting and arguing in the church. What a surprise And I'm I'm Amster. <laughs> but these women were, you know, they were arguing. And look at verse 3, it says, yeah, the men laugh, and the women just... <laughs> but look at verse 3, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, look what he said, look what Paul said, help those women... Which labored with me, Louisa says, in the gospel, with Clement also, another woman, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Do you see that? Sometimes we get this idea. Well, soul winning is not for women. That's just something the pastor does, that's just something men do. Well, Paul said, he said, I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women, what women, which labored with me in the gospel. You say, I want to prophesy like those four virgin daughters. Uh, Philip, I want to be a woman preacher. Here's how you're a woman preacher. You go out with your Bible, you knock on someone's door, and you preach the gospel to them. That's how a woman preaches the gospel. Do they stand up behind a pulpit and publicly teach men? No, they do not. Because the Bible says that the women learn in silence with all subjection. It says that they, you know, they they usurp not the authority over the man, but to be in silence. But you can not preach the gospel. And you should preach the gospel. It's not just something for the pastor to do. Something for each and every one of us to do. And that's why the Bible talks about... uh, Go back to Acts 21 there. That's why it calls those young girls... It calls them... It says that they prophesy. Because if you look at verse 8... Notice it says, And the next day, we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea. And we entered into the house of Philip... Look what he calls Philip, the evangelist. Say, what does that mean? Well, again, evangelist, what, what, we call, what, what Christians call evangelist today is different from what the Bible calls evangelist. The, the, the word evangelist in the Bible just means soul. Evangelize is talking about preaching the gospel. In fact, the Spanish word for gospel is evangelio, which will come from the same root word as evangelist. It all means the same thing. It said, Philip the Evangelist, what does it Philip the Soul Winner, which was one of the seven, and abode with him, and the same man, who, what man? Philip the Evangelist, Philip the Soul, the same man, had four daughters, virgins, which could Well You know, just connect us up. This is what I think he's talking about. On Saturday morning, Philip and his four daughters were going out and preaching the gospel. And that's why he said, Philip the Evangelist and his four daughters who could preach, who could prophesy. You know, it was just a family of winners. and you may be wondering, you know, where's where's the wife? Where, why is she not mentioned? I don't know why she's not mentioned. The Bible doesn't tell us. But you know, part of me wonders if maybe the persecution of Saul has something to do with the fact that this the mother is just not even mentioned or missing in the scriptures. But look at uh, look down at verse number. Uh, let's see, where are we? Verse thirteen. So then Paul answered, "What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus." So we see there that Paul is finding himself, and he and he's almost he's making himself a martyr for the cause of Christ. When he's in direct violation of what God already told him two different times with the Holy Spirit, told him, do not go to Jerusalem, I do not want you to go to Jerusalem. Uh, We saw number one uh, there, we saw Paul's disobedience. But I'd like you to see number two, I want you to see Paul's conformity. Paul's conformity. Look at verse 15, it says, And after those days we took up our carriages and went up to Jerusalem. There went with us also certain of the disciples of Caesarea, and brought with them one mason of Cyprus, an old disciple, with whom we should lodge. And when we were come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. You see there, they find, they get to Jerusalem. Paul gets to the exact place that God told him not to go. And look what happens. And the day following, Paul went in with us, unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly the things that God had wrought among the Gentiles by his ministry. So he gets there, he gets to James, and this is in James... The Apostle James, this is James who almost seems like he's the pastor of the church there in, in Jerusalem. Because uh, he's kind of the leader there and we've seen him in other passages. But he gets there and he's just giving him a report about all the things that have happened, all the people he got saved, all the churches that started. Now before we go any further, we've got to ask a few questions. You know, you've got to ask this question. Why is it that Paul wants to go to Jerusalem so bad? And I want to show you just a few things. Go with me to the book of Romans. You're there in Acts. Go to Romans chapter number 9 and look at verse number 1. And I'd like you to, if, if you've got a bulletin, or if you've got a ribbon in your Bible, put it there in Romans 9, because we're going to be coming back to it. But I'd like you to see Romans 9. I'd like you to see that Paul had sincere intentions. Paul had good intentions. But doing something out of sincerity that goes against God's Word is still wrong. But if you look at Romans 9, the Bible says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Now Paul begins this conversation by saying, Hey, what I'm about to tell you is the truth. I'm not lying. You say, why does Paul make that disclaimer? Well, he makes that disclaimer because the statement he's about to make is so ridiculous. It's so out of this world that we would just assume that he's lying. And Paul says... I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Look at verse 3. For I could wish that myself were accursed. That word accursed means damned. It means condemned to hell. He says, I wish that I was condemned from Christ, cursed from Christ, why? For my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now when he's talking about his brethren, he's not talking about saved people because he, he defies it for us. He says, my kinsmen, which means your family member, you know, your close of kin, or your next of kin. You know, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He's talking about the people he's related to. He Paul just made this statement, and you can go back to Acts one, but we're going to come back to Romans 9. But Paul just made this statement, he said, I would wish that I would, he said, I would give up my salvation. I would literally die and go to hell if it would make my kinsmen, my family, the people I'm related to in my flesh, my nation, my Jewish people, if it would make them be saved, I would give up my salvation. Paul had a heart to see people, to see his Jewish nation get saved. And that's why he wants so badly to go to Jerusalem, because he wants to preach the gospel to them. And he's got very nice and very sincere... Intentions, But I'd like you to see he has a very bad approach Look at verse 17 Acts 21, look at verse 17 Look what the Bible says Acts 21 Verse 17 Acts 21, verse 17 says And when we were come to Jerusalem The brethren received us gladly And the day following Paul went in with Us unto James, and all the elders were present. And when he had saluted them, he declared particularly what things God had wrought among the Gentiles by His ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord and said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe, and they are all zealous of the law, and they are informed of thee that thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles. To forsake Moses. Now is that true? Did Paul teach people to forsake Moses? No, that's a lie. He never taught people to forsake Moses. Paul's the one who said, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable. He said that about those writings that Moses wrote. So he never taught people to forsake Moses, but look at the next thing. He says, uh, Thou teachest all the Jews which are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they are not to circumcise their children. Now is that true? Did Paul teach that they should not circumcise their children? That is true. That's very true. Read the book of Galatians. Read the book of Colossians. Paul taught very much that circumcision availeth nothing. That, you know, uncircum- you know, if you're circumcised or uncircumcised, it'll do nothing for you. Look, it says, Neither to walk after their customs. Did, did Paul teach that? He did teach that. And I'll prove that to you in a second. Look at verse 22. What is it therefore? So they got they got it. Wrong and right. He never taught them to forsake Moses, but he did teach them to forsake certain things of the law. He said, hey, you don't have to, he, he told the Gentiles, you don't have to get circumcised to be saved, to be part of the family of God. You don't have to walk after the customs of the Jews. Look at verse 22. What is it therefore? The multitude must needs come together, for they will hear that thou art come. Do therefore this that we say to thee. Now notice, they're saying, this is what you've got to do, Paul, because these people are upset because they've heard what you've been preaching and they don't like it. We have four men which have a vow on them. Then take and purify thyself with them, and be at charges with them, that they may show their heads, and all that they may shave their heads, and all may know that those things whereof they were informed concerning thee are nothing. Notice what he said. He said, We want you to do this certain vow, Paul, so that they will know that you do follow the law, and then they'll think that everything they heard about you is nothing. But that thou mayest also walk orderly and keepest the law. As touching the Gentiles, which believe, we have written and concluded that they observe no such things, save only that they keep themselves from things offered to idols, and from blood, and from uh, strangled, and from fornication. I, you know, I don't know if this is making sense, but I want you to understand this is what they're saying. Paul. You have been preaching that they should not get circumcised, that they should not keep the law, that they don't need to uh, make sacrifices anymore. You've been preaching all these things about, you know, the law. And these people are upset about it. So I want you to, 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 you know, tell them, you know, take this vow and do these things. And then you're going to, you know, prove to them that you really haven't been teaching these things. And then in verse 25, they say, now we told the Jews, the Gentiles, they don't have to do it. Notice, they got two messages for two different crowds. And this is what they're trying to do. They're trying to get Paul to act like the Jews. They're trying to get Paul to assimilate to their culture and their customers. Say, Paul, just do their vow. Just do their offerings. Just do what they do. And then they'll like you. And here's what Paul's thinking. Paul's thinking, if I act like them, if I assimilate to them, if they're comfortable with me, then I'll have a better chance at reaching them and giving them the gospel. Because Paul has very sincere intentions. He wants to get them saved. Now let me tell you something, that's no different than what's going on today. In the United States of America, in Christianity today. Today people, churches all across our country have this idea. If we want to reach the lost, if we want to give the gospel to the unbeliever, then we've got to act like them. So we've got to get their music in our church we got to get their clothing standards in our church. we got to get their philosophies and their attitudes and their way of thinking. And, and if we act like them, then they'll be accepting of us and then we can get them saved. And that's exactly what Paul's saying. I'll, I'll go do this pile, I'll shave my head, I'll do the sacrifice, I'll act like a Jew, and maybe then I can get the Jews saved. And that's wrong. You know, I was taught growing up, a very good statement. I thought it was a great statement. It's, it's this. What you win them with is what you'll win them to. And if we get a bunch of, you know, Christian rock and roll music in here, because we're trying to reach the crowd, you know, we're trying to reach the young people, we want them to come to church, so we're going to attract them with the street. You know, we won them with that Christian rock, that's what we won them to, that Christian rock. You know, and, and these churches have these ideas. Let's break down the bar Let's bring down the bar of the Bible and let's just try to act like them so they'll like us, so they'll be comfortable with us. Look, we don't need to act like the world in order to reach the world. What would be the purpose of doing that? The world is messed up. their little Christian rock and their little youth group it's ridiculous and and, and by the way it doesn't work but the Bible says we are to be a peculiar people we are to be separate the Bible says come out from among them and be ye separate saith the Lord but Paul's trying to act like them and let me show you a verse that they take uh, and and, you know they completely uh, chop up in order to prove to prove what they're trying to do go with me uh, just real quickly to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 1 Corinthians chapter number 9 Look at verse 17. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9. 1 Corinthians chapter number 9, and I'm sorry, I said, I get, uh, verse 20. Look, look what Paul said. Now Paul said this. And I, I've heard this my entire life, but look what it said. Paul said, and unto the Jew I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. And to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law. And people will teach this all the time. They'll say, see, Paul said to the Jew, he became a Jew. And to the Greek, he became a Greek. And, you know, to them that are under the law, as under the law. And they'll say, that's what we gotta do. So to the the ghetto rap crowd, then we gotta, you know, we gotta reach them with Christian rap. And to these, like, you know, demonic... Skateboarding, demon loving, you know trench coat wearing mafia kids. Then we got to do that. You know we got to get that kind of music. And then you know to the to the the country, the people that like the country music. Then good, we'll get them. You know southern gospel music. And, and we just got to try to assimilate to whatever the society is to try to reach them. And they'll say, see, this is what the Bible says. But look what it says. Read it again. And unto the Jew I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law, as without the law, look what he said, being not without law to God, but under the law of Christ. You know what he was saying? He said... That's wrong. And we ought not sin against God's heart. We ought not make church a place where we're just trying to be like the world. And you know, churches today would just have their Christian rock concerts every week. And my dad was telling me, he, he works at this apartment complex where he does maintenance, and he said that there, was, that there was this church that came into the apartment complex to try to like do their little outreach. And by the way, that, that's not soul winning. Okay, soul winning is preaching the gospel. They're doing a little outreach thing at this apartment complex. And he said, literally, he said he could not even believe, he, he heard this music, he thought it was just this, this like, block party at this apartment complex. And he's going through and he's doing work, you know, he's just doing maintenance in the apartment. As he's walking by this place, he, he got to, you know, he just saw it and he's like, what is going on? And, because there's a stage and there's like five girls in miniskirts just doing these dances to this rock music that's blasting. And they're giving all this food or whatever. And my dad's like, what is going on? What are these people He goes to the back And he you know, knocks on the door and he's there to do their maintenance or whatever. And the guy's he's like, oh yeah, I'm going to go over there to the thing. And my dad's like, oh, you're going to that party? And he's like, no, that's a church service. And he's like, what? But that's, that's what the world is. Well, how are we going to attract the young children? It's ridiculous. We well, attract the young children with the Word of God. You say, well, they don't like the Word of God. Well, then that's, you know, that's their problem, not mine. Okay? We're not going to change God's Word. We will become like the law, like those who are not under law, to reach. The, but we're always going to be under God's law. Period. And we will always stay by God's law. And that's why everything we do around here, we try to filter through the word of God. Paul was trying to assimilate to them. But I want you to see them, tonight. I told you to keep to your pace there in Romans 9, right? Go back to Romans 9, we're, we're almost done, I'll, I'll try to be done here really fast. But go, go back to Romans 9. I'd like you to understand something. Why is it that the Apostle Paul was doing this? And I want you to understand that Paul was doing this, he had sincere intentions and he had a wrong approach, but he was doing it because he had a very, very bad motivation. Look at verse number 1 again of of Romans chapter 9. It says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. Look what he said in verse 2. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. Paul said, I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. You say, Paul, why did you have that great heaviness? Right? I, I believe, and there's other passages I could go to, but I don't have time to, to do it right now. But I believe that Paul had great heaviness and continual sorrow. And the reason in verse 3 he makes this statement that I could wish myself were a curse from Christ for my brethren... My kinsmen according to the flesh. I believe Paul wants so badly to get these Jews saved. Here's why. Because he has guilt. He has guilt. Because you know what? There was, no, there was only one person in the city of Jerusalem. Actually, there was no person that, in, in Jerusalem that did more to stop the gospel from being preached to the Jews than the Apostle Paul before he got saved as Saul. Before Saul showed up, they were going to have a great revival. I mean, they were having great revivals. The day of Pentecost, over 3,000 got saved. But a few chapters later, a few more thousand get saved. I mean, they're getting thousands of people saved. They're getting, you know, all of this success. All of these Jews are getting saved. Great, great success. Then Saul shows up. And squashes the whole thing. And stops the revivals in Jerusalem. And the Jew, and, and then Paul got saved, obviously. And great revivals went out to Samaria and to all these different Gentile nations. But guess what? What never never came back to Jerusalem was that spirit of revival that they had. And I think Paul, as his ministry went on, and he went through and he was in Ephesus, he was in Philippi, he was in Corinth, he was in all these cities and he's getting people saved and he's preaching up, He's doing great battles and he just has this guilt in his heart that his own countrymen are going to die and go to hell and he's blaming himself. And he says in verse 3, For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ for my brother and my kinsmen according to the Bible. Now look, I don't know about you, but I can't understand this statement. I would not give up my salvation for anybody. And I don't think you would give up your salvation for anybody. You say, well, would you not give up your salvation for your children? Why would I give up my salvation for my children when they can get saved? Everybody anybody can get saved. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if, if for some if they could not be saved, you know, then maybe I would give up. But look, all they have to do is believe. So why would I give up? But Paul? This is what Paul is saying. These people, even though they reject He, he says, even though they reject the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah, if I could give up my salvation to get them saved, I'd do it. Now here's what I say. If you want to reject Jesus Christ, then go to hell. I mean, that's what I would say. I, that's what I would say to my family. I would say, hey, Jesus Christ is saved. you. And they're like, I reject Jesus Christ. I don't I'd say, well, that's your problem. I mean, I love you and I'll pray for you, but if you want to reject Him, then go ahead. But Paul actually said, you, you are that those people were seeing. And he carried this guilt on him. Go real quick with uh, Revelation chapter number 12. Revelation chapter number 12. Revelation chapter number 12. See, that guilt is good though. You want to know why I think Paul did such a wonderful work for the cause of Christ? Here's why. Guilt. Do you know why I believe Paul made the biggest mistake of his life? The, Acts 21 is what set Paul's life in a course to take him to Rome and to die at Rome. Literally finish his ministries and finish the, the work that he was doing for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of the decision he made in, in chapter 21. The greatest things that Paul did in his life, he did because of guilt. You say why? I think Paul preached so hard. I think Paul worked so hard. I think Paul sacrificed so hard. I think Paul did so much because he had this guilt. And he said, I'm going to make it up to God. But then at the same time, he made the worst mistake of his life because he had this guilt. And he actually sinned against God to try to make up that guilt. Look at Revelation chapter number 12. Look at verse 10. Look what the Bible says. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of His Christ. For the accuser... Look what it says. This is talking about Satan. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. You see that? Now, this is a future event. This hasn't happened yet. But the Bible says that the accuser of the brethren is standing before God, accusing his children to God day and night. The Bible says day and night right now, the devil is accusing the brethren to God. And we learned about that in Job. Do you remember that? That's what he was doing for Job and that's what the devil does he's accusing you and he's pointing at you and he's saying this is what you did and look let me tell you something use that guilt as a bridge you know make that burden a bridge but Paul made some very very bad mistakes because of his guilt Paul blasphemed I don't have time to go through it you know we'll just have to skip it but the Bible says that that the temple doesn't apply these offerings don't apply it's all you know it's all sin and it's all wicked and he did these things because he was trying to assimilate to the Jews. Because he felt so bad. And you know, look, let me tell you I want to get people saved too. But we should not do wrong to do right. We, it's never right to do wrong to do right. Never. So well, I, you know, I know that I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do this great thing. It's never right to do wrong to do right. And Paul had a very sincere heart. was trying to get these people. up, felt really bad. If, if, if he has something to do with Philip's wife getting not being in the picture, I'm sure he felt very bad staying at Philip's house. But he made very good decisions because of his guilt, he made very bad decisions. Use your guilt, use that in a good way. Let your burden be a bridge. We fire our heads in word of praise. Dear God, Father, thank you so much for church. Thank you for the Bible study. And Lord, I pray that you would please uh, just bless your word, Father. And in your precious name I pray, amen.